Now, last night uh, in the Dáil Sinn Féin table of motion demanding government action on spinal services for children and paediatric orthopaedic services more generally and today the issue was also raised by Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou MacDonald during Leaders' Questions. We'll come to you in a moment, Harry McGee, on, on what transpired at that. But let's go back to yesterday and the Minister of Health, Stephen Donnelly, telling the Dáil what he didn't know rather than what he did know about this. Well, the fact that the, the number of surgeries has gone well up matters and there's been a modest ref, uh, fall in the waiting list. While that does matter, it is nowhere close to enough um, in terms of what needs to happen. In 2022, when I allocated the 19 million euro, the forecast I got from Children's Health Ireland was that it would bring the waiting list for those waiting more than four months down to zero and it would do it quite quickly. And it was on that basis that we allocated uh, the money and as we all know, uh, that hasn't happened. I've listened carefully to concerns that patients, that families uh, have raised with me. Uh, I have consulted with clinicians about the allocation of that 19 million euro. Uh, I know that a portion of that money uh, has been used to increase surgeries. It's very evident that that is the case. However, um, concerns have been raised that all of the money may not have been allocated according to orthopaedic and spinal surgery, certainly in the way that I intended, government intended, and I've no doubt all of us in this house would want to have seen. Uh, on that basis, I have uh, asked the HSE to send their internal audit teams into CHI. I want a full account of the entire 19 million euro mapped against uh, the intended purpose for that 19 million euro. Stephen Donnelly in the doll there yesterday, uh, Harry McGee, a lot of unknown unknowns and uh, that was the Taoiseach's line today at Leader's Question, wasn't it? There are knowledge gaps in this whole area and in the meantime, frustrated families with children in pain listen into this and wonder why their surgeries aren't happening quicker. Yeah, usually politicians, especially those in government, are very good at marshalling the facts to defend a position, no matter how untenable the position may seem to be. But the Taoiseach openly admitted today during Leader's Question that he did not have an adequate explanation uh, for the big gaps in the services and spinal surgery, specifically in relation to scoliosis and with spina bifida. So if we kind of pedal back in 2017, uh, when he was Minister for Health, uh, Simon Harris made a promise uh, that no child would be waiting for more than four months for scoliosis uh, surgery. That patently has not transpired. And we're now seven years later uh, in fact, um, as Marie Lou MacDonald said during leaders' questions today, the situation is utterly uh, scandalous. Uh, there are more children on the waiting list now than there were when Simon Harris made that promise back in uh, 2017. She claimed uh, there were 327 children on waiting lists. The government later quibbled with that, saying uh, the figure was somewhat less than that. I think they said there were 78 active cases uh, and 231 awaiting uh, spinal procedures, which brings us to a total of 309, which is marginally less uh, than the figure that was produced uh, by Sinn Féin. Uh, there's also this uh, disclosure or admission uh, by Stephen Donnelly uh, that uh, they gave 19 million in 2022 to expedite the waiting list to bring it down from four months uh, to zero. He admitted that hasn't happened. And he also uh, raised his concern that perhaps the the uh, the the way in which the money uh, 
should have been used. It it might not have been used in that particular way that the money might have been diverted uh, to something other uh, than what the government and he desired it to be used for. And that's an issue. Uh, he's asked internal auditors within the HSE uh, to examine this and to examine the accounts of uh, Children's Health Ireland uh, to come to the bottom of it. But that is a big admission uh, for, for, for uh, uh, the government. Uh, the government had a counter motion. Uh, it accepted uh, openly that delays were too long, but then it said it was committed to uh, improve waiting times. But the evidence is since 2017 uh, that really isn't happening. And it is true that there were more procedures now than there were uh, in 2019. Uh, I think in 2019 there were uh, there were uh, 380. They rose to 509 in 2022, 464 uh, last year. Uh, but uh, accompanying that was an increase in personnel and in uh, available theatre space uh, as well. And then the Taoiseach is a kind of a grace note in, in the uh, to and fro with Mary Lou Macdonald today, uh, said that uh, Ireland uh, was by any metric one of the best places to raise a child uh, in the world, uh, in the top 10 percentile points. It is, except if you are a child uh, with scoliosis or with spina bifida. And it's patently not one of the best places if you are unfortunate enough to have one of those conditions. And the thing about those conditions is that the earlier the intervention is, the better the outcome. So, it, I mean, everybody knows that, that that early intervention with such conditions is always more optimal than waiting because once you start waiting the surgery becomes far more complicated and the procedures become far more manifold. Uh, Regina Dorr, do you know the thing the uh, Taoiseach said today during leaders' questions that uh, if it was a question of money, if it was a question of political will, this would have been solved uh, a long time ago. But to a certain degree it's a question of grip, isn't it? I mean, if 19 million gets poured into the HSE, it's unknown where it goes and the auditors have to be sent in to get answers. There's something wrong with the uh, channels of communication there and there's something wrong with the oversight. Yeah, I, I Unfortunately, I have to agree with you, right? So when you ask if it's about money or it's about political will, it'll be fixed. The point is, is that it's not fixed and we're not short of money. And the political will of various ministers over the last six, seven years have said that their intention is to fix it and yet it's not fixed. And to my mind today, um, although he didn't use this words, the minister has basically said he doesn't have confidence in CHI's ability to manage this because you don't need to send auditors in to find out where your 19 million is gone that was given specifically and directly to improve outcomes for the kids who are on waiting lists for far too long, having known what the issues are and you're using this money right, to address it. They'll be asking questions today as to where the money has gone. CHI is, as a result of the uh, the Spinal Springs controversy, uh, is down a surgeon. We know that much. So yeah. there is a, a specialist and a specialist with a high surgeon surgery rate that has been lost to, to the system, whatever so, the, the, the answers that will ultimately be found about the nature of what was done. But at the same time, they are down resources in that respect. OK, that that may be the, the reason for why the, the spinal surgeries that happened last year were slightly reduced on the spinal surgeries that happened the year before. That in itself is enough for major co- concern as to how CHI are managing this whole process. But you know what's weird about this is that when we look at the cases that have been managed and they've been managed well, we know they can do it. When we look at the parents who are crying out for waiting lists, it's not just about a surgeon or a theatre. It's about nutritional needs. It's about urology. It's about multi-complex issues amongst various consultants that need to be managed by somebody and they're not being managed. 
managed. And so I'm calling, along with the parents who have been asking for this for months, what are we waiting for about setting up a task force? We know the, you know, the internal force that uh, CHI set up to manage these surgeries is not working. It doesn't have the confidence of parents. So let's set up an independent okay, but task let's, let's go back to 2017. To At the time, <clears throat> you were a cabinet minister. Yeah. Uh, Simon Harris was a cabinet minister. He said on behalf of the government, of which you were a member, we're going to get waiting lists. Down to four months. Down to four months. It didn't work for most of the kids. Right. Now, so for some of the children, so it absolutely if, but has. I suppose the, the question is, if a politician can make a commitment like that uh, and, and, and thinks they can carry through on it, surely there is a political wheel to this whole vehicle in that somebody has to get a grip at the political level there is, which and is drive why I didn't the agree. necessary reform. I don't disagree with the first statement that you said when you talk about if it was about money or political will it would be fixed. The political will is there but it needs to be managed and it needs to be driven and I can tell you... But is I, is the political will translated into efficacy? So if you have a minister today asking where his 19 million was gone because it wasn't spent where he said it was supposed to be spent, that tells me that you know in the last two years since 1922 you haven't been managing where the money has been going and getting a response back from the new paediatric spinal surgery management unit that was specifically set up. Mm. If it's not working, go to the independent route. Stop allowing CHI who've been listening to for years and the parents of the children that we've been listening to for years who say that they're not getting the services that they expect from the desired money that's been put in to specifically tackle this issue. I'm not letting anybody off the hook. But what we're doing is not working and we have parents consistently telling us that their children are in agony because we're missing milestones. It's not good enough. So somebody somewhere has to take it by the, you know, the shoulders and say, I'm going to take this and I'm going to really, really fix it. Right. We've had other issues before we've been able to do it. So this isn't, you know, unfixable. Don't but it just the, the, the those, those parents took themselves to the doll yesterday. The children spoke to, to the media. Uh, oftentimes, busy parents, the last place they want to find themselves is hawking their children to the front of the doll to effectively plead for mercy. Absolutely, that's not where they want to be. It's not where they should be. Uh, but like we're talking about political will here. I think we we had a minister seven years ago, Simon Harris, try and uh, uh, implement some political will. That's failed. Uh, minister Stephen Donnelly, in terms of if you're saying allocating the 19 million, uh, you know, trying to get something done, political will, that's failed. I'll come back to that. But what I, I found really revealing was what the Taoiseach said. A leader's questions is that this will take more than one government to fix. I mean, we're already two governments in from the Simon Harris. Well, he, he, he says there's only a year left to run on this government. Yeah, so but, but it, it will it will, it will run be into over the, the next life government. Of this government. So there'll be three yeah. governments, including you know, from when Simon Harris first said that. So I, I like that felt like the teacher was actually you know not putting his hand on the tiller on this was actually stepping back and saying, look, we're not going to get this done in the lifetime of this government. You know, it could be the next government. It'll take more than one government to get this fixed. But as, as Labour health spokesman, if you were in government, could you honestly look at the situation that pertains at the moment and say you'd clear that waiting list in a year? No, from this point in time, you couldn't. Right. But again, this so is the same government. This is the same then, government. No, this is the same government that have made that statement two, uh, seven years ago in terms of Simon Harris. So that's that's the problem. The 19 million going into this and being unaccounted for or going elsewhere is a huge huge scandal. Not Not all of it is what the teacher. Not all of it today. but that, that's that's a huge scandal. If that money was, if they were unable to spend that money because they didn't have the surgeons or they didn't have the multidisciplinary aftercare uh, which is a problem as well which is an issue it's not just having the surgeon it's having the multidisciplinary aftercare and the therapies. If that money couldn't go towards that for whatever reason if they did not have the staff that money shouldn't have been spelled, spent elsewhere it should have either gone back or at least been accounted for. It is hugely problematic that that money uh, drifted to somewhere else. Obviously the minister knows where it went and 
and he's, he's, he's asking for an audit so he can just have that in writing. Mm. But that's hugely problematic because 19 million in the overall uh, cost of a health budget isn't a lot of money. It's something that should have been accounted for and spent uh, where, where it was intended. And the fact that that didn't happen for those families who are sitting up in the gallery and those children who are outside the doll yesterday, I think, is just like an, another absolute crippling blow. All right. Marion Harkin, you were speaking on this uh, yesterday. And uh, and met indeed as, as well with them with with some of the families. Mm. But looking at where the money went and sending in the auditors, that's more time that a lot of these children just don't have. It surely is. And <clears throat> I met one parent who had travelled from Donegal. Her little girl is waiting over five years. She's ten years of age. She was sitting in a wheelchair on a, a cold February afternoon outside Leinster House. And I know all of the TDs here, and I said this in the doll last night, nobody wants to go out to meet people coming to the doll or to the AV room looking for health care because it's so difficult for them and even us as politicians to face them and give them an explanation. But yesterday evening, I have to say, was nearly the worst that I have ever seen when I heard the awful stories that the parents told me. And I think the worst story was a young man. I just went up to him by chance. No idea who he was. He was in a wheelchair. And I said to him, what's your situation? And he said, it's too late for me. He said, "By the t- I waited and I waited. And by the time I was getting uh, surgery, the uh, consultant told me that the time for medical intervention was over. And, and I, 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 I stood with my mouth open because I didn't know what to say. That to has him. effectively shortened that man's life. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I believe considerable pain as well. That's ongoing all the time. So that's where, where we are. But your question is, I suppose, we are now in this position and what is to be done? It's shocking that we have a minister following 19 million uh, because it's never, well, it's not just about the money, it's about how it's spent and we see this was not spent in the way it was supposed to be spent. But if we go back to Simon Harris, when he made that promise seven years ago, I remember reading at the time, and I've seen it since, that uh, a very senior official said that if those figures, if that target was to be reached, that nobody would wait more than four months, that it would require 50 surgeries abroad to to help us reach that target. Now, I wonder, was there any effort to look at surgeries abroad? Doesn't suit everybody. In fact, I asked that lady yesterday from Donegal because I was thinking in terms of maybe Northern Ireland or the UK, but her little girl is in such a perilous situation that would not be possible. But for those who are not People at an earlier stage, people uh, yes, perhaps less complicated. Because we have to deal with the most critical, but people who are two and three years from being really critical, maybe we need to look at that right. as a possible solution. All right, Regina Doherty, the, the you know, treating people in different countries at, at an earlier stage, sometimes that could be a question of, of money indeed, because there, there's more than just the surgery itself. It's parents having to travel with them, the aftercare recovery time being accommodated during that time. Uh, you know, it's considerably considerable disruption uh, to people's lives. But given what's at stake, do you think a package like that should be looked at? So I don't disagree that 
first of all, I don't think this is about money. And if money needs to be found so that you could, you know, save that young lady from having a life where we missed her opportunity, then you absolutely should do it. And it's not just about the child. It's about the parents and the support systems that go with them, whether it's to Northern Ireland, to England, to France, wherever it is. Yeah, of course it is. But if we don't know what's wrong in our own system and go hell for leather to try and fix that, well, then that's on all of us. Um, and honest to God, we've been working with CHI. When the, when the minister stood up yesterday and said that he didn't know where that 19 million was going, that was a screaming statement for me that he doesn't have confidence in the fact that he gave them something to fix an issue and he does not know where that money has gone. Yeah. It's at that point. We shouldn't send your auditors in. That's gone. I don't know how long that'll take. But we should be setting up the independent task force to manage external to the people who clearly haven't been able to do it. Okay, but it, it, and it, Street in it, the it's a function of the health care. Back, I, I think, in, in, in 2006 when uh, the document Vision for Change was released about the mental health service, which, which we'll get to in a minute in the case of younger, younger people, constituencies or areas of the country where there was a large historic asylum that was being sold in order to fund the mental health services, I think at the time the analysis was that uh, the money that was realised from the sale of those properties bled away into other areas of the health service. It, it was likened to the pillaging of the monasteries in Tudor England in, in that report. So if it happened in that situation and that was found out in 2006, there's a governance issue generally with where money flows to in the health system. How are we here 18 years later looking at another situation with more people in pain where that's the case? But we have a situation where every single year the HSE spends far more than it's ever been allocated and comes with the begging bowl thereafter to be offered forgiveness and then add that to my list and to my, my budget next year. At some point, like I, I know there was an argument over the budget last year, at some point somebody has to stop and say no. We need you to be accountable. There needs to be an arrest of the continuous billion after billion after billion every year. Right. Like you look at somebody who's been in government for thirteen I, years. I'm maybe. not saying I'm I'm not excusing the nature of it, which is why Pascal Donoghue put the brakes on this year and said no. And I know we all sat around these tables a couple of months ago saying, "Oh, that's shocking and it's disgraceful." And somebody somewhere has to say no and make people accountable. Well, saying that's what no we're at the to point do. at which the overspend happens is one thing. Instituting the reforms to prevent it happening is another, isn't that's it? Well, to be fair, and I wouldn't be Robert Watts' biggest fan, right? To be fair in the last months, couple of months in the year since he's there, he has enacted changes to make people accountable. You can see the difference between Bernard Gloucester and his predecessors and how things are, you know, microly managed. But we still don't see the evidence yet and we probably won't see the evidence of that yet for a couple of years. Things are what we can see is not acceptable. How do you respond to that? No, they're, they're not. And I, I think what we, what we had in, in the budget process I think was, was most unseemly because it just it, it did seem like the, the, the chests out from the Department of Health and the HSE uh, and a face-off on budgets. It didn't seem like either were coming forward with actually what the long-term proposals were to actually get the budgeting in our health service right. I mean, I've been around Leinster House as a TD for four years uh, and a little more as, as a staffer. I mean, it, there's just stories abound those corridors about how money's literally found down, not how money's figuratively found down the back of a couch in health to pay for this, that, and the other. Huge levels of political uh, influence and getting this done and that done. The health, the budgeting in our health service is an absolute catastrophe. It's an absolute disaster. No one can stand over it. No one can have any faith in it. And for uh, as, as I've said on this show and others, uh, that health is different. It's it's different from any other department. We're, we're dealing with people... In that it's demand-led. In that it's demand-led. Uh, um, and also, we're dealing with people's lives. Well, it is demand-led to a certain extent. And let, let, let me put this to you, Marion Harkin, you may want to, to respond to this okay. as well. Let's look at the situation of the spinal surgery at the moment. Ireland is one of the countries that has the, the one of the highest instances of spina bifida and, and hydrocephalus. And, and in planning a health service, it's not like another health service, we are clearly going to need more spinal and orthopaedic surgeons in the system. 
so, so why don't we, I suppose, and in order to carry out procedures at an earlier stage so we don't get to later, more complex, expensive surgeries? We don't we, we don't plan a budget across our health service. I mean, we have like uh, eight, eight GPs per 10,000 people. We should have 12. That should be the, the, the average. You know, we, we don't have enough ICU beds. We saw that through COVID. I think we I think we have seven per whatever the number should be, and it should be, again, 13 or 14. We, we do not plan across our health service. But when you come to an issue such as scoliosis and spina bifida and hydrocephalus, uh, you know, th- there are absolutely no excuses as to why we haven't been able to to, to get ahead of this and be able to plan for it. Uh, and it all comes back to just how dysfunctional our health service is, how, this, how uh, the whole regional breakdown of our health service over years was uh, subsumed into the HSE. Now we're going to have a whole new regional health uh, uh, areas, uh, which I'm really, really nervous about because we're going from a broken system into a new system, a new layer of, uh, of management, a new uh, level of control. Um, and uh, the whole thrust of that is well, at least we're going to have regional managers that would that would that the, who, with whom the book will stop. The book was supposed to stop with the head of the HSE. The book was supposed to stop with the head of the CHOs. The book was supposed to stop with the head of hospital groups. The book doesn't stop with anyone, and it certainly doesn't stop with the minister. And I suppose, Conam, all I'm thinking of is the the people who are listening to this, the the parents whose children are awaiting spinal surgery, and other people who are awaiting access to our healthcare system, and all they're hearing is about all this money being poured in and not getting results for it about overruns from year to year and black holes being filled and as you said money found down the back of the couch or wherever else that when it comes to health budgeting and economic budgeting within our health system that that we're we're just not at the races and I mean it must be really depressing to hear that with all of the money we spent and we do spend a lot on health, that we're not getting the kind of outcomes that we could expect to get. And at the end of the day, the book stops in lots of places, but it absolutely stops with the government and the Minister for Health. And over a period of time, as you said, we're looking perhaps at three governments to solve this. That's where it has to stop because there is nowhere else for it to go because somebody is in charge of the money. The minister allocates the money, but it's his responsibility not just to allocate it, but to make sure that when he or she does that that money is spent to deliver the best outcomes. Right. And that's just not happening. Very briefly, I know yeah. we're talking about scoliosis, but it would be not fair if I didn't say we've increased the number of GPs, we've increased the number of ICU beds, we're reducing the waiting list and the outcomes for patients in the main are far, far better today than they were five years ago and ten years ago. So I know we're all talking about the picky things here that are wrong and they're hugely wrong. But this is a bit more than a picky thing, isn't yeah, it? But the, no, there's an awful lot. It, but right. like the, the, the situation we see, maybe that's an unfortunate choice we, of words. It's okay, part. take that back. It's a wrong choice of word, but it would be unfair for us to sit here and say that every part of the health service right. is unmanaged, unplanned for, because that's not true. Yeah, I mean, there are things that the health service does extremely well. I think uh, breast cancer, um, it has done exceedingly well in terms of breast cancer over the past 20 years, I think, since they... Cardiac uh, uh, outcomes have improved. Ca- cardiac yeah. outcomes, cancer treatment has improved as well. They do, do extraordinary things at a community level. I know, but well, well done. But we're, we're a developed first world society. Sure, I mean, sure. I, I'm uh, citizens the, the, have a right to expect the, the, this. There's no they? easy fix. You're talking about a huge organisation, complicated organisation, a massive bureaucracy. Uh, you had former health boards that were amalgamated into one big homogenous mass and each of them had different systems, had different ways of doing things, different 
pay levels and they've never really fully integrated and now they're reversing it and going back to the regional system and I, I like Duncan I would be slightly concerned uh, about that but I, I we're, we're, we're going to move on to another issue Ed, in, in the health service we've mentioned just in passing there and that's the issue of child and adolescent mental health services it came up because the Children's Rights Alliance uh, issued a report card the, for the government yesterday and they gave it an E grade on the provision of children's mental health services uh, and it was raised again today at Leaders Questions by uh, the Labour leader Ivana Bacic. Let's hear from her. There are things you can do now. The Irish Hospital Consultants Association has pointed to staff shortages as a real factor in driving unacceptable delays for children's services. So will you end the recruitment freeze, the embargo in certain grades in the health services, and will you therefore move to tackle these outrageous waiting lists and address the failings in the CAM services that have been so, made so glaringly obvious uh, by so many reports, uh, including the Children's Rights Alliance report yesterday? All right, uh, that was the Children's Rights Alliance report that was out yesterday, which which drew on a number of other reports, Harry, including uh, the mental health reform uh, report, which said that CAMS teams were, were only staffed to a level of, of 50%. But this is a persistent issue, the child and adolescent mental health services. Yeah, no, Is this another one that there are unknown unknowns as to why it's not functioning? Absolutely. And the, the exact same uh, factors that we outlined in relation to scoliosis and spina bifida can be outlined in relation, just in terms of the way that, that the, the response to these things is structured. The Children's Rights Alliance uh, gave uh, a grade E on access to children's mental health. I think the Taoiseach trying to grasp at straw said that they didn't disimprove any of the votes that they gave since last year but uh, an E is Although not... the one did go down from a C plus to a C minus. I, I checked the report card and I, okay, I, I, I'll recheck it there. He, he, he may, did your home he, better he may than be better than I did. No, no, I didn't. No, I, I, I just noticed it earlier. No, I'd hate to put you on the spot like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you don't hate no, putting me on no, the no, spot. No, go on. <laughs> <laughs> no, as anyways, he does it to you, Harry, and not to us. No, oh, no, he'll get me back, no doubt. Uh, let's get back to the substance of issue here the uh, child and adolescent mental health services um, and, and and I suppose the issue of concrete solutions and, and filling the gaps in the services that have persisted for many years Yeah I mean and one of the, the, the big issues there is staffing and it was highlighted during the scandal that occurred in Kerry in relation to the way that children who had who want who needed to access uh, CAMS uh, were prescribed with with uh, with unsuitable medication, uh, who uh, were not adequately uh, uh, diagnosed with their conditions, and who were essentially uh, neglected. And even though the ca- even though the situation throughout the country is, w- wasn't as bad as that, there are very few places in the country in which CAMS is operating uh, effectively. There's a a, a a glaring shortage of staff, especially uh, um, uh, psychiatrists. Uh, child psychologists, those that make up these teams, these CAMS teams, uh, that were the, 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 the reason why uh, CAMS was set up in the first place, that they'd have a professional team uh, who would be able to deal uh, with each young patient as they fa- find them. So we have seen inadequacies uh, with, the, uh, with, the, with the service throughout the country, not just this year, but spreading back for, for a, a decade or, or more. And despite lots of rhetoric, despite lots of promises, uh, the government seems unable uh, to grasp uh, this particular nettle and come up with a uh, resolution. Now, I know there are difficulties with recruitment. They have difficulties in finding psychiatrists and psychologists uh, to fill the positions. But, you know, 
that's not good enough. Something has to be done. They have to find solutions in order to provide a service because young people uh, at that age with psychiatric uh, uh, illnesses and conditions and uh, problems, you know, are very vulnerable people. And that that can sometimes lead to terrible consequences if they're not dealt with adequately. Regina Doherty, maybe this one is a question of money. I remember uh, Martin Rogan, the former acting head of mental health services in the HSE, saying before that, look, child uh, and adolescent uh, psychiatrists are snapped up in English-speaking countries uh, across the globe. There are countries like Canada, Australia, the US, where the the, uh, skills of these people are in high demand. It's not necessarily like an emergency department where the conditions and, and the daily grind is driving them out. There are there are jobs abroad that will pay them more. But that's true of nearly most of the professions that we have in Ireland. We hear today of our nurses, our teachers, our engineers going to sunny places and, you know, living their best life. Sorry, again, this comes back to planning. We have the largest amount of budget ever spent in the history of the state and the largest number of staff in our CAMS service. I think it's going to be 888 by the time we get to the end of this particular year. But it's still not enough. And the reason it's not enough is because the problem with our young people is growing exponentially. And so even though we're adding, I think we're up to 146 or 7 million this year, which is more than we've ever spent on CAMS, we've, we've a number of fundamental problems. And I would genuinely, from experience, come from the School of Thought, that we need brand new legislation to radically overhaul the delivery of services in CAMS because they're not uniform. We've had scandal after scandal over the last number of years that have been uncovered and still not resolved. We have major But is, is it any surprise that people are, are reaching perhaps for the medical tools that are available to them when, uh, go back to, to May of last year, 56 beds uh, out of 72 were, were available. By the following month, it was 51 out of 72. The number had dropped. In other words, 21 short. Yeah, and in Gino Kenny's motion again tonight from People Before Profit, still 21 so beds Colin, short. We, d- we don't have the staff to man those beds, so you can't have them open. But that's still, that's not a good enough answer. We need to find the staff. And you look what we do every couple of years in the, uh, at the health service. We have an NCHD rotation where we go across the world to try and recruit um, junior doctors to make sure that we do have the facility. We don't do the same for all of the other health professionals that we need across our community care teams and our CAMs and our mental health teams. We need occupational therapists, speech and language therapists, mental health therapists. We don't have enough of them, but we're not doing anything to actively either train more or recruit more. And that's a major problem. Is that problem. not what policy is for? It, it is. And that's why the mental health reform, if you look at what they've been doing for the, la- the commission of the last couple of years with the HSC, is to try and come up with a new plan for delivery for children's right. services, because the one we have don't at the moment it. isn't working or consistent. Okay, okay, but Regine, you're talking about grades that are being impacted by the recruitment freeze. And we've been bringing up the recruitment freeze a lot through leaders' questions. And the teacher response invariably is well we actually, we've actually hired too many people that's why we have a recruitment freeze but we quite clearly haven't and one thing I've discovered even in the last uh, week uh, through uh, speaking with uh, the health trade unions uh, and people contacting me directly is that we, we have uh, social care professionals who are unable to come back from career breaks due to the recruitment freeze I mean, this is a nonsense. I mean, these are people who are trained, have experience, took an agreed career break, are ready to get back in to help young people, to help people in other areas of the health service. People whose career break is over can't People come whose back. career break is over cannot, uh, cannot uh, can come back. career break? Abs- and then come back. It Absolutely, make any sense. it makes no sense. And was it an re- indefinite career break, and they wanted to come back? And no, no, just no. Not no. Be taken this, back? Is a, this is a this is a time defined. How many career, examples of that have you come across? Break. I've come across about four personally, but the unions are coming back to me now because they're picking them. This is what's all coming out now. This is what's all coming out now. So this is what's so people I'm, who can't come back there. off career break. That, people who can't that's come back stunning. Off. This is absolutely a nonsense. Surely that would be if I took over from you, you were gone off on a year's break. When the year is over, I lose my job and you come back. I know. Right? 
uh, tell that to the teacher, uh, Regina, at uh, your next parliamentary party meeting, because that's what's happening. And this this is the nonsense of the recruitment freeze. And this is what this is why we're not able to open these beds. This is why we have uh, children being admitted to psychiatric beds in adult wards, which again, the teacher replied back saying, well, sometimes that actually might be, the families might prefer that because it's closer than having to go to a paediatric ward, which might be X amount of miles away. Again, such a tone-deaf response to such a critically important uh, uh, question uh, and, does, and does issue. Does he have a point in an emergency? though a, a private bed in an adult ward rather than travelling fa- family trying to travel 200 miles to an appropriate facility if there's even a bed open well, well like I mean it, it was a tone deaf uh, it was a tone deaf element to the response and uh, again set against the fact that we have paediatric beds that are closed because we can't right. get the staff Ma- Marianne well Harkin. just uh, what you said there about people uh, being on a career break I'm astonished mm. that they can't you're get still, back you're still picking your job yeah. off the floor I, I am because I mean that is not part of a recruitment freeze no. I mean it just makes no sense and, you know, Regina, you're saying we don't have the staff there, but actually, even if they were available, and I'm not sure they are, but even if they were, we can't recruit them because we have the recruitment freeze in place. And we talk about workforce planning, but, but maybe we need to think a little bit more laterally and, and look at those. So the grades to which the recruitment freeze does not apply is uh, nurses and consultants, is it? That's, that's that, right. That, that's it at the moment. Yeah, yeah. that's it yeah. at the moment. Um, you know, to look at those that we are educating and training in our services and maybe offer some sort of a, a carrot and stick approach, maybe more carrot than stick. But people are entitled if they want to go abroad to sometimes it's to get experience. And, you know, if we could show that there are good career pathways for people when they come back, because often they go to larger teaching hospitals and that kind of opportunity is not always available here. It's not always about sea sand, sun and money. It's about career as well. Mm. But that you know, that we look at all of those issues and it's it's not just about money, but that we do provide those kind of opportunities for healthcare workers that we so desperately need. I was just saying to your researcher earlier today, I came across this situation just recently where a very senior person in a Midland hospital said that um, they were going to have to learn the Indian language because there were so many Indian doctors in the hospital, excellent doctors. Of course, they speak in English to their patients, but between one another, they often speak in their own language. And this senior person was afraid they'd miss something. So she felt that she would have to uh, learn the language. So that tells you the critical situation that many of our hospitals are in. And there well, is, and you can only imagine this, the state of play in hospitals in India. And there know, is the an ethical situation there, that. absolutely, that we are bringing people in from countries that desperately need those healthcare staff. But we need to also, and of course we need to bring in these people, and in many cases they are formed the very basis of some of our hospitals. Sure. We need to do more to encourage uh, our own to stay or come back. Okay, we're going to touch briefly, uh, very briefly, just on, uh, on on a final health issue before we move on to other matters, uh, and that's uh, surrogacy. Health committee today, Harry. What what, what was what do we hear about uh, surrogacy at that? Yeah, it, this is is extraordinarily um, complicated um, piece of legislation that's trying to deal with assistant human reproduction, and it includes surrogacy, both altruistic domestic surrogacy and also uh, international surrogacy. 
and there are so many uh, moral and ethical uh, issues that uh, arise and I, I don't envy the people who have to draft the legislation uh, because they have to look at, uh, you're talking about unknown unknowns, the foreseeable and unforeseeable circumstances and you get some very unusual uh, arrangements uh, and um, some very uh, difficult ethical situations to agree. So the the, the core of the legislation uh, is child-centred. So the, 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 the Stephen Donnelly insisted at committee today that the interest of the child uh, will be uh, paramount and the, all the rights of the, of the child will, will underpin the bill. He was talking about domestic altruistic surrogacy, uh, that there will be a suitability test, uh, that the safety of the child uh, will be also tested and will need to be adequately provided for and then also the need for the parent uh, to be uh, genetically uh, related. Uh, so... Um, there was an issue um, over the uh, the order that's made by judges and this concern on, par- on the part of the minister that too much judicial discretion right. will be given in relation to it and in some way that this will undermine unintentionally the rights of uh, the uh, child. So there are some efforts being made to, to kind of to dampen down the judicial uh, 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 discretion. Another issue is that those who... Um, who uh, are involved in non-permitted surrogacy uh, under the present legislation, uh, they will be criminalised. And uh, Roisin Shortall, for example, raised the issue of, you know, some LGBT plus parents uh, who are not habitually resident in a place uh, who perhaps haven't uh, used their own egg. uh, So there is no genetic uh, connection uh, with the child and perhaps the surrogate a uh, uh, parent may not have had a child before and her argument was that that was non-permitted but in some cases it wasn't non-ethical and she was saying that perhaps uh, the legislation should reflect that and that it would only be criminal uh, when the practices were unethical rather than unpermitted. Uh, I don't think uh, the minister was minded to accept that particular uh, amendment and he said that the safeguards uh, to protect the child must be very strong indeed. But that's kind of an illustration oh, oh. of the very complicated nature it, and, it and sure is, unusual yeah. circumstances that will arise. I, I uh, won't ask you with your legal training whether that constitutes a durable relationship at this point, Harry. We might come back to that. <laughs> we might come back to that another day. Regina Doherty, it, I mean, there was, as, as Harry says, there was kind of some fascinating, interesting what if cases uh, thrown up. But the, But the stipulation that a surrogate would have to have previously been a parent, as in the mother would have had to have previously given birth. Mm. Could you understand that? Is that a dry run that they are capable of giving, uh, effectively uh, able to give birth naturally before they become a surrogate? What's the thinking behind that, do you think? It certainly raised eyebrows, I have to be honest with you, Colin. The first thing I'll say to you is, is that the language that's been used has to be really important because the Minister talked about people, women being used as surrogates. Nobody gets used as a surrogate. Women choose to be a surrogate for a variety of reasons and I think that's important. And the second thing that was really important today was that we need to ensure in the legislation that both the mother that gives birth to the baby and the mother then that adopts the baby, both of them have to be entitled to maternity leave because a lady has to recover 
recover from nine months and given birth and obviously the new mammy then has to be able to be with the baby right so that needs to be to be fixed but this nonsense of that a woman has to give birth to a baby before she could be a surrogate for for what reason is it to prove she can have a baby is it to prove that like some somebody even suggested today that if she'd had the baby her own baby she'd be less likely not to want to give up the surrogate baby because she had her own baby to go home to like these are women we're talking about who make adult decisions to do you know this kind of a very altruistic thing for either somebody that they care about or somebody that you know is in their family or whatever the the paternalistic kind of attitude there is just off the wall and then the second thing is is the the second rule is that you're not allowed to be a surrogate more than twice so I'm not sure like I, I would love to believe that that is hugely a protective thing but the legislation should be protective of the woman and the surrogate in the first instance you shouldn't need to go to that stage whereas if a woman wants to help or she loses a baby and wants to help you the second time like it's all very I don't know. Still, still, as far as you're concerned, a lot of stuff to be teased yeah, out. Duncan hopefully. Smith, what did you make of it? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm still ca- catching up on the committee today. Uh, like, I mean, Stephen Donnelly is, is, I think, in fairness to him, doing his best to try and navigate this very complex piece of legislation through the uh, through through the House, uh, and now it's 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 gone to it's gone to committee. 110 pages of amendments. Again, what what came up today? You think? You think you're on top of this bill. You think you know the different, you know, issues that are going to crop up, and then we hear what we heard today in relation to uh, a woman having to have a a child uh, first before having a be allowed to become a surrogate. I mean, that seems an absolute uh, nonsense for anyone who's kind of living in the real world. Um, so, I, I mean, I. I think when this does go through, and I think uh, Minister Donnelly has made it. Uh, uh, a, a priority for him to get this through before the in, within the lifetime of this government. I think we're probably going to be in for another number of years of amending pieces of legislation, right. uh, and there'll always be cases that are going to come up and 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 test this. But I think having a child-centered approach, protecting the child, ensuring we get to the state. Like part of what's drawn, what, what what brought this here is like we have situations where we have parents who are unable to, uh, you know, give permission to a crash to give calpol to their child if they're sick because they're not recognised because they're. Use surrogacy, you know that that's okay. the kind of the pra- where we've got it. So we need to make sure we sort all that out as best as possible with this legislation. I wish Don, Mr. Donnelly well in it. I think he is trying to make it a priority, but it's fraught with okay. difficulty. 